This is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Exciting for uh, young people at New Day, um, which has just grown and grown over the years. And it's around about 7,000 young people now be uh, gathering in uh, Norfolk for that next week. So that's all really good. Thrilled to hear about the God Secrets course that Paul and Nats are going to lead us through, which is great. So uh, if you've done Ignite with them or if you've been through the uh, Pursuing His Presence Academy or if you're on the Academy team, then uh, it'd be a great uh, opportunity to continue to grow in God and uh, continue to learn in terms of how you hear from him and continue to step out in following him. So that is some of the things that are going on and there'll be lots more that we'll talk about in the autumn, no doubt, as well. But this morning now we're going to look at the book of Acts together. So if you've got a Bible with you, if you can turn please to Acts chapter 20. We're back in our series in Acts now. After a little diversion last week, we've got to the... uh, The second half of chapter 20, we start reading at verse 13. If I can see my Bible up here, this is not so good. So Acts chapter 20, verse 13. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Assos, where we were going to take Paul aboard. He had made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us at Assos, we took him aboard and went on to Mytilene. The next day, we set sail from there and arrived off Chios. The day after that, we crossed over to Samos. On the following day, arrived at Miletus. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia, for he was in a hurry to reach Jerusalem, if possible, by the day of Pentecost. From Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. When they arrived, he said to them, You know how I lived the whole time I was with you, from the first day I came into the province of Asia. I served the Lord with great humility and with tears, in the midst of severe testing by the plots of my Jewish opponents. You know that I have not hesitated to preach anything that will be helpful to you, but have taught you publicly and from house to house. I have declared to both Jews and Greeks that they must turn to God in repentance and have faith in our Lord Jesus. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Now I know that none of you among whom I've gone about preaching the kingdom will ever see me again. Therefore I declare to you today that I am innocent of the blood of any of you, for I have not hesitated to proclaim the whole will of God. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Be shepherds of the church of God, which he bought with his own blood. I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. Even from among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. 
Now I commit you to God and to the word of his grace, which can build you up and give you an inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have not coveted anyone's silver or gold or clothing. You yourselves know that these hands of mine have supplied my own needs and the needs of my companions. In everything I did, I showed you by this kind of hard work, we must help the weak, remembering the words of the Lord Jesus himself, saying, it's more blessed to give than to receive. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. What grieved them the most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. So this passage gives us a window into the Apostle Paul's method of ministry. How he reacted to the leaders of the churches that he served and the way he operated among them. So we're going to consider three things in the time that is remaining this morning. We're going to look at Paul's method, Paul's command, and Paul's aim. So they're your three headings if you're making notes. Paul's method, Paul's command, and Paul's aim. And along the way, we're going to uh, consider how Paul's ways should therefore affect us and the way we do life and ministry together. So... Shall we pray? And then we'll get into uh, the Word of God together. Father, we thank you for your presence with us, Lord Jesus. We thank you that you've been so near to us. And now as we open up your Word, Lord God, would you come and be our teacher? Lord, we pray that you would apply it to our lives. Help us to understand what we read. And God, apply it by your Spirit to each of us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So what was Paul's method then? What was his method in ministry? Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the Apostle to the Gentiles. That's the non-Jewish people in these New Testament times. Uh, He wrote much of the New Testament we've got in our Bible, writing to different churches that he had relationship with. This part of the book of Acts is some of his story and uh, what he was doing uh, and part of his journey. And we see here something of his method. And the first thing we see that Paul's method involved sharing life together. Sharing life. Paul's method was not one of a distant or remote guru or teacher. Not somebody who just arrived for Sunday morning meetings and be sort of ushered in and bring his address and then be ushered out by his, his minders. But rather, Paul shared his life with these people. He shared his life with these leaders, with the churches that he related to. He was known to the church, particularly to the leaders. They saw how he lived, how he worked, how he interacted with other people. Yes, he talked, but more than that, he shared his life with them. Similar to what Jesus did, isn't it, actually? Jesus taught We've got records of that in the Gospels. But he shared his life with his disciples. Paul did the same. He taught in public and private gatherings. We read about that in verse 20. But more than that, he shared his life with people. That was discipleship for him. I think sometimes people misunderstand what we mean by discipleship. They can think, oh, discipleship equals a weekly Bible study. Now, there's nothing wrong with a weekly Bible study. It's a good thing. But that in and of itself is not discipleship. 
Discipleship is sharing your life with somebody. Sharing your life and your ways with somebody. It's doing life together. It might be going for a walk, doing the school run. It's as much about doing the shopping together as it is praying together. Praying together is great. I'm all for that. I'm all for the Bible study together. But discipleship is so much more than that. It's sharing life together. That's what Paul did. And all this could only happen because of the genuine relationship that he had with these people, particularly these leaders. Or, or maybe it was a genuine relationship that led to that discipleship. I'm not sure which comes first, whether it's chicken or egg. But you see both there. You see that sharing of life and you see genuine relationship. And look how the Ephesian elders responded when they realized that they wouldn't see Paul again. We read that they all wept and embraced him in verse 37 there. They were deeply moved, weren't they? They Paul said, I'm not going to see you again. They're moved by that because there's genuine relationship. Paul wasn't just a consultant to the church. He wasn't just a visiting preacher who turned up every now and then. He had a genuine and deep relationship with this church and particularly these leaders, these elders. I wonder if you're a leader in the church here this morning, in any area of church life, do you have that sort of relationship with those in your care? Those in your small group, maybe. Those in your team. Do you have that sort of relationship? You don't get that level of relationship just on a two-hour window on Sunday morning. It requires a greater investment than that. Now look at the verses 37 and verse 38. Look at how they, they wept and embraced him. They kissed him. There was a genuine love and affection. Genuine relationship with these individuals, with this team. And friends, that's a sort of community that we want to build here in Jubilee. Where there's a genuine relationship, genuine love and care for one another. Not an exclusive thing. Not a close community that's somehow inward-looking. It's just about us. No, no, no. But rather one that is outward-looking, loving, welcoming, engaging. Keen to welcome in the, the guests, the newcomer, those looking in. And just as an aside, I want to encourage us. Friends, if you're part of Jubilee regularly, I want to encourage us. Be on the lookout for guests amongst us. If you're a guest here this morning, then thank you for being here. It's great to have you here. We're thrilled that you're with us this morning. I want to encourage those of us in the church to make sure we're welcoming people really well, making people feel at home and appreciated, getting to know one another. Let's build a community that loves people and serves people really well, who loves to include the new person, the visitor, the guest, the new person amongst us. And also, let's make sure, friends, we're moving beyond those first conversations. Do you know what I mean? You know that first conversation you have with somebody which is, hi, how are you? What's your name? Where, you know, where do you live? Maybe what do you do, perhaps? Something about their family. They're the sort of first conversations we have. And they're probably the most natural conversations I have with somebody who's turned up for the first time. You know, tell me a bit about yourself. But let's make sure we go beyond that. Let's make sure we're 
digging deep into relationship. Let's just make sure we're not leaving friendships at that surface level. You've got to start there. Of course you have. Let's make sure we're really getting to know one another, building life together, building genuine friendships. You see that sort of community right the way through the book of Acts. Time and again, you see how that's how it was for the early church. You see it particularly here in Acts 20 with Paul's engagement with this team, with this church. They really love and care for one another. Anyway, back to the text. We're looking at Paul's method, remember? Another part of Paul's method we see in verse 27 where he talks about having preached the whole word of God. And he talks about how he didn't miss anything out. For I've not hesitated to proclaim to you the whole will of God, he says. He preaches the whole book. Paul's method is to preach the whole counsel of God. And for those of us who preach, there's a temptation there to always default to the favourite passage. To always default to the easy bit. The one that you like. The one that's easy to apply. And just think, oh, do I have to go to the more challenging text? Do I have to go to the one that I've got to wrestle with and really get hold of and seek God for? Paul was committed to preaching the whole counsel of God, the whole book. One of the reasons I like systematic preaching, that's going through the book of the Bible, sort of verse by verse, reading it through chapter by chapter, maybe preaching it in that way. One of the reasons I like that is that it forces us to address things we'd otherwise perhaps choose to skip. Or maybe we think, I don't want to go for that verse, maybe I'll just look at the next chapter instead. You can't do that in systematic preaching. You have to go, what does the text say? What is God saying to us from it? You can't just skip it and ignore it. Now there are other methods of preaching, maybe by a topic or a subject, I get that, and it's good to do that from time to time. But I think the bulk of our preaching, the bulk of our studying of God's Word on a Sunday should be in this systematic way. So we're making sure we're getting the whole counsel of God. We're preaching the whole book. You see in verse 24 as well that Paul's method including dying to himself. He's not living for his own ends anymore. His life is about serving the Lord Jesus. It's not about his own comfort or security. It's about serving the Lord Jesus. He's living for him. And he focuses too, we see in verse 24 as well, on God's grace. At every opportunity, Paul wants to testify to the grace of God. He knew that he was somebody who had received much of God's grace, didn't he? Think about it, if you know the story of the Apostle Paul, you'll you'll know how he didn't start out being a great preacher of God's salvation, of his gospel. No, no, he started out as Saul, somebody who was attacking and persecuting the early church. Somebody who was giving his blessing to the murder of early Christians. That's his story. And God broke in and wonderfully saved him. But Paul knew that was only because of God's grace. He knew it wasn't about anything that he had done. It's all about God's grace for him. Paul's very life 
was a demonstration of the grace of God. And you know what, friends? So are ours. Our lives are a demonstration of the grace of God as well. Tim prayed earlier about life-changing grace. And many of us in this room this morning have experienced and received that life-changing grace. There's nothing particularly remarkable about you or me. But rather we're recipients of God's amazing, life-changing grace. So we see something of, um, of Paul's method there in Acts 20. We also see something of Paul's command that he gives to the Ephesian elders. Have a look at it. It's in verse 28. And Paul tells them to, to keep watch over yourself, to keep watch over those you lead, to be shepherds and to be on your guard. That's Paul's command to these elders, these leaders of the Ephesus church. Firstly, then, to keep watch over yourself, he says to them. You know what? Your first responsibility before God is you. It's you. It's easy to think that no, actually it's somebody else. Maybe someone that's close to you, a loved one, a husband, wife, child, friend. You might think, no, my first responsibility is to them. No, it's not. Your first responsibility before God is you. To keep watch over yourself. Before you look out for others, keep watch over your own heart. It's exactly what Paul said to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, verse 16. He says, watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them, because if you do, you'll save both yourself and your hearers. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Pay attention to yourself. Why? Well, think about it. It's the same instruction you get on an aircraft, isn't it? If you've ever flown anywhere on a plane, you get in, don't you, and you find your seat, and you sit down, and you, you, know, you get settled, and before the aircraft takes off, you're either shown a video, or a member of the cabin crew comes to talk it through uh, practically what you need to do in case of emergency. You know, you get the whole routine about wearing your seatbelt, keeping that fastened at all times. And then you're told if the cabin pressure drops and oxygen is required, then a mask will fall down from the ceiling above you automatically and you are to put it on. And if you're travelling with somebody else, what do they say? What do they say? Do you put your own mask on first before attending to the person with you. Why? Because if you don't, you might never get to attend to the person next to you. So it's important. You get the oxygen first, you do that, then you can look after the person you're travelling with, maybe a child. You're going to take care of yourself first. It's true in an aircraft. It's true doctrinally in what you believe as well. Watch your life Watch your doctrine. Watch, watch what you believe closely. And allow other people to speak into your life as well. Have that degree of accountability with, with one another. Leaders particularly have got to watch out for this. It's easy to watch out for others, 
and forget to pay attention to yourself. So make sure that you do. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Paul goes on, keep watch over those you lead. Be shepherds. So as well as watching over yourself, you're to, as a leader, to watch over others. To be a shepherd. So if you're a leader in the church, then part of your role is to shepherd those in your care. That may be in a a life group, one of our small groups. It may be in a youth group. It may be uh, in a particular team or in a kids' work. It may be in a band that you lead. Whatever area of church life that you have some degree of responsibility for, part of that responsibility is to take care of, to keep watch over, be shepherds of those in your care. Well, how do you do that? Well, it's not going to be a heavy or domineering role. No, no, it's meant to be one of love and kindness and compassion. Another part of watching out for and caring for those uh, that you lead is watching out for those that might be coming to cause trouble or havoc. In verse 29, Paul describes savage wolves, his words, that will come in among you and not spare the flock. So the picture here is of wolves attacking sheep, isn't it? That's what Paul is is thinking about. It's the picture in his mind of a wolf getting into a sheep pen. And well, you can imagine the rest of the story, can't you? It's messy. It's gory. It's not pleasant. You can picture the scene, I'm sure. It's deadly. Paul's not talking of literal wolves coming into the church, but listen. He's talking in picture language to describe those people who come into the church seeking to destroy, to cause disunity and strife. We need to watch for that. Be careful about that. And Paul goes on to describe one of the ways that could happen is in the shape of false teaching. Even from among your own number, he says in verse 30, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them. Even from within the church, seemingly even from within this very eldership team, there'll be those who would arise, leading men and women away from the truth into error. I was with a uh, with some friends this week, some other church leaders from around Christ Central, which is our uh, wider church family. We were talking about how we care for the churches, particularly in the UK, that God has entrusted to us as a team. And we're talking about the ways of doing that. And before we got into the discussion, one of the guys in the room said, we started talking, he was speaking about a church that he knew of not far from where he lived, another part of the UK, that had gone completely off the rails. I mean... It wasn't a church that we had any relationship or responsibility for, praise God, but they had got into serious error. They were teaching things that are thoroughly not biblical. They were suggesting that people did certain things in the way they lived their lives that are totally contrary to Scripture. And I'm sitting there thinking, how can that be? It's just not in the book. I mean, how can people believe that? But it's an example of what we're talking about. 
Even from among your own number, men will arise and distort the truth in order to draw away disciples after them, says Paul. So what's the solution? What can you do to watch out for that? He goes on. Be on your guard. Be on your guard against false teaching. Verse 31. Be on your guard. Peter says something similar in 1 Peter 5. He says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So what do you need to do? You need to be alert. Be on your guard. Friends, we have an enemy who is actively seeking to destroy the church, not somebody who is just mildly nonplussed by it, but rather actively seeking to cause disunity, strife and destroy God's kingdom. We need to be on our guard. Be alert. Be watchful. Be discerning. So how do you, how do you look out for false teaching? Well, the first thing you do is check it with a book. What does God's word say? What has God already revealed in his word? What has he said very clearly in the book? Does what I say or another elder or someone else preaching line up with what God has already said? If so, great, obey it. Do what God has said. If not, question it. If not, question it. It might be that you've just misunderstood something. Maybe it wasn't said that clearly. Or maybe it was just plain wrong. Listen, it's not to say that you sit there in a judgmental and critical spirit, somehow filtering what is said through a theological checklist. I've known people like that. They're no fun to be around, and you need to be on the watch for them too. <laughs> but rather, what I am saying is this listen, come with your Bible, have it open before you. And as I'm saying something or somebody else is preaching, saying, well, the Bible says this, look for yourself. Does it really say that? Is that what the writer really meant? Is that what you know, is being, being said? If it does, then, then great. Be obedient to God's word. If it doesn't, then start asking some questions. I encourage us, friends, let's be recipients of good teaching. Let's be open to God teaching us through his word, but have it with you. Now, you might have it on an electronic device rather than a hard copy. That's fine. But whether you're reading it on your phone or you've got it in a book, please have it open before you. Ask God to speak to you. Just look at the verses as we look at them so that you say, ah, is this something that Graham thinks is a good idea or has God said it? Because frankly, I'm not much interested in what I say, but I am interested in what he says. And I rather suspect the same is true for you as well. So what should you do if you think something's wrong? Well, firstly, go to the person that said it. Ask a question. Ask for clarification. Maybe you misheard it. Maybe it wasn't explained very well. So ask. If you get a satisfactory answer, then great. That's good. If not, then... Talk to a trusted Christian friend. Maybe your small group leader, your life group leader. 
not in a gossipy and divisive way, but just say, look, help me to understand this. I, I don't quite see it there. Can we, can we look at it together? Can, can you help me here? And if you're still not convinced, then come and see me or another elder. Say, can you help me with this? Ask questions, engage, be a learner. And listen, be on your guard. Time is running away from us, so just very quickly to finish, we read about Paul's aim. We find his aim in verse 24, to finish the race and complete the task that the Lord Jesus had given him. Paul often describes the Christian life as a race. His readers in New Testament times would have been very familiar with that imagery. The games were popular in, in those times. We can think of a race as well, can't we? We can th- imagine that in our minds. We know what that looks like. And he describes the Christian life as that sort of a race. We have a goal in mind to finish, to get across the line. Paul was focused just like a runner in a race. Focused on that finish line at the end. It tells us to get rid of anything that would get in the way, our distractions that would hinder us. Read about that in Hebrews 12 as well. And encourage us to keep walking close with the Lord. But we know that Paul's clear about the task that God has given him. He knew that he had been called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles. So listen, let me ask you a question. What task has God given you? If you ask the Apostle Paul that question, you get a really clear answer. I'm called to bring the gospel to the Gentiles, he would say. What would you say? What's your answer? What task has God given you? Some ten years later, when Paul was in prison and Timothy was in Ephesus, Paul wrote to him, this is 2 Timothy 4 verse 7, he said this, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. He can only say that because he knew what race he was running, what his task was. So as we finish, let me ask you this. What is the race or the task that the Lord Jesus has given you? Are you running it? Or have you quit and you're sitting on the sidelines watching others? I felt as I was preparing this during the week and praying about it that for some of you, you feel like you've started well. Maybe you sort of shot out of the starting blocks, if you like, in the Christian life race. But then you hit some trouble or something happens. It knocked you off course. And you haven't really quite got back in the race of following Jesus how you once were. Maybe you even know what task God gave you in those moments, but right now it's not really on your radar. I wonder if that relates to any of you. I feel like you started well, but stuff happened along the way, got knocked off course. This morning, God wants to bring you back in the race. He's calling you back in the race. 
It's like he's giving you some fresh running shoes, some fresh running clothes, getting you back in the race. So actually, just raise your hand. I'd love to pray for you real quick while we're just in this moment. If you, if, if you think, yeah, that's me. Thank you. Thank you. Just, just keep your hand up as I pray. Father, I thank you for these dear friends. Lord, thank you for the race that you have called each of them to run. And Lord, I want to pray right now in Jesus' name that today will be a day of some new running shoes being given, fresh running clothes being supplied. They get, might get back in the race and back on the course that you have called them to. Lord Jesus, I pray even this week, God, that you would speak to them and encourage them in it. In Jesus' name. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Father. Thank you, God. One other thing before we finish. I felt also that for some of you, you feel like God has called you to be a shepherd. He has called you to love and care for God's people. He's given you that pastoral heart. That doesn't necessarily mean that he's calling you to full-time Christian ministry. I'm not sure I like the phrase even, but you know what I mean by it. But rather, you know that your task, your race, is to shepherd, to love, to care, to pastor others. Now, you might be male or female. That's not the issue. It's not about eldership. This is about a love and a care and a shepherding heart. You know that God has put that in you. He's given you that. Just raise your hand if that's you. I'd love to pray for you as well before we finish. Can I get you guys to stand, actually? I want us to pray. If you just put your hand up, then just stand where you are. I'm not going to call you forward. We're out of time for that. You know God has put in you a heart to love and to care, to pastor, to shepherd. Father, I thank you for each one of these people that have stood. <laughs> Lord Jesus, thank you, God, for those who you've put in them a pastoral, loving, caring, shepherding, discipling heart. And God, we pray for our friends right now. God, we pray for anointing on them in Jesus' name. God, I pray, just lift your hands where you are. If you're near one of these people, just lift your hands out to them. God, I pray right now in Jesus' name that you would bless and blow on what you've put in their hearts. That, Lord Jesus, where you have called them to love and to shepherd, to care, to pastor, to disciple, that, Father, you would blow on that. And, God, by your Spirit, you would enlarge that gift. Father, I pray you'd enlarge their gift and release them in this church. That, God, they might fulfill all that you've called them to in their race. And, God, your kingdom might be advanced as a result of it. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 Thank you all for standing. Thank you for being brave. So we see there Paul's method, his command. His aim. Let's live our lives in a similar way.
Amen? Amen. So, Father, we thank you for your goodness to us. We thank you for your presence with us this morning. We thank you for your word. Pray, Lord, we now live it out for your glory. Amen. Thanks for listening to this Jubilee Church podcast. Feel free to check out our website at www.jubilee.org.uk or come along on any Sunday morning.